Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, We Believe in Regeneration. We welcome you to this week's edition of Words of Grace, and we're so very thankful that you have joined us for today's broadcast. If you are a regular listener, you know that we are presently undertaking a series on the teachings affirmed by historic Baptist and modern primitive Baptist teachings that are reflected in what we call the Articles of Faith. We've taken up for consideration two strands of the Articles of Faith, that of Flint River, our church dating back to 1808 and throughout the 1700s and the early 1800s. These represented the standard Baptist statement of faith in the United States and that of Ebenezer, the church in which I was raised, also a very historic church, dating back to 1868. Now, just because these statements of faith are worded a little bit differently does not mean that they do not agree with one another. The doctrine contained in both of these statements are identical. However, it does at times use different wording. Maybe an extra word is added. Maybe a word is left off. Maybe an article is divided into two instead of combined into one. And those differences are all immaterial. The doctrine and the practice in these articles of faith are one and the same. Today, we come to our next article, one dealing with the subject of the new birth, also called in the Bible, regeneration, quickening, translation, a spiritual resurrection, and an act of creation as well. If you're a long-time radio listener, you know how much I love speaking on this topic. It really is one of my favorite subjects to talk about and to preach about and to share with others. And the reason for this is quite simple. You and I are walking miracles of grace. We were dead in trespasses and in sins, but now we are raised to new life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are born again. We are acts of divine creation as new creatures in Christ. This is an awesome and amazing subject that personally applies to each and every person who is born again, but we'll say more about that in a moment. Coming to the articles that we're going to explain for you today, Article 7 in the Statement of Faith of Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, again dating to 1808 in this church, is recognized as the oldest Baptist church in the state of Alabama. We believe that God's elect shall be called, converted, regenerated, and sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Ebenezer's statement is similar, but worded a little differently. It reads, We believe that God's elect shall be effectually called, regenerated, and sanctified by the Holy Ghost, and shall be preserved in grace, and never finally fall away. As far as the distinctions between these two, Flint River's statement uses a word, converted, that you don't find in Ebenezer's statement. Ebenezer's statement adds the word effectually before the word called, so God's elect shall be effectually called, and calling here in Flint River's statement has reference to the effectual call, as we will see in a moment. The call of the Holy Spirit is always effectual. It is not resisted. 
no more than Lazarus could have resisted the resurrection that Jesus worked upon him when he had been dead for more than four days, and yet Jesus spoke and he came to life. This calling of the Holy Spirit is effectual. So I like that that statement adds that. And then this second statement from Ebenezer, it adds at the very end, and shall be preserved in grace and never finally fall away, which is actually the article that we're going to consider from our statement of faith on next week's broadcast. So the very next statement in our statement of faith here says, we believe that the saints shall be preserved in grace and never finally fall away. But we will save that topic on preservation and the security of those who are in Christ for our broadcast next week, Lord willing. So let's begin looking at this a piece at a time in conjunction with the Word of God. Now, just a reminder, these are short expressions of what we believe the Word of God to teach. Without the Bible, an article is a pointless writing of men. At the same time, the church doesn't exist in a vacuum separate from history. This is historic, this study that we are conducting together. It's a survey of Baptist history in the United States, and this history could be traced all the way back to Europe, but it's primarily biblical. Everything that we've expressed to you in this series, we pointed to the Word of God to verify and justify. We're not simply repeating the ideas that men have believed. We're not simply proclaiming to you the traditions of men, but every single thing that we have affirmed from our statement of faith is rooted and grounded in Scripture as it ought to be. This is what we believe the Word of God to teach, thus saith the Word of the Lord. And so this is historical, but it's also primarily biblical. Let's begin looking specifically at the language itself, and we'll do this as we have done in the previous broadcast, taking it a clause at a time. First of all, we believe God's elect shall be, and then you have called, converted, regenerated, sanctified by the Holy Ghost. We believe that God's elect shall be, and then you have the rest of that statement. Notice, first of all, that this language that we read in this statement applies not to every human being but to the elect of God. Previously in this series, we have looked at the fact that God elected people before the foundation of the world. We've also emphasized that we believe in original sin, that all men are sinners through the sin of Adam, and because they are sinners, they are impotent to rescue themselves from the fallen state they are in by nature. So if we are dead in sin and we are impotent to rescue ourselves from that fallen state— How is it that we come to spiritual life? Well, that's the primary focus of this article that we consider today. We will be called, and we will be regenerated. We will be born again, and there are several biblical words I could give you for that. Translation, resurrection, regeneration, born again, born from above, etc., created anew in Christ Jesus, whichever one of those word pictures you want to use, they describe the same reality. We are rescued from our fallen state, though we were impotent to rescue ourselves through the calling of the Holy Spirit to life. In message three of this series, we emphasize the existence of the elect. That statement, statement three in our Articles of Faith, emphasizes that God elected his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. As unpopular as that notion is in our present day, It's no less biblical than it has ever been. Ephesians chapter 1 plainly declares it. 
according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is very simple language. That is easy to understand. It isn't a mistranslation. It isn't bias that's built into the KJV or some other translation. But that's literally what that statement says. Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9 plainly speak to the fact that God knew and predestinated people before the world began. Romans chapter 9 emphasizes that this was irrespective of any good or evil that people do. So it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. We spoke to great length about that subject in the third message in this series. But Jesus taught on this subject of election on multiple occasions himself. In John chapter 6, we read, All that the Father gave to him shall come to him. When did the Father give people to Christ? Well, the Father gave people to Christ before the foundation of the world. Jesus in John 10 again references the fact that God the Father gave people to him. When did this happen? It happened before the foundation of the world. And in John 17, verses 1 through 3, Jesus clearly states that he is dying to give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Jesus died for the elect. The elect exist. He used that term to describe them in the Olivet Discourse and in other places, such as the parable of the unjust judge. And as we shared with you in that message on election, Peter uses that word, Paul uses that word, John uses that word. Since Matthew and Mark and Luke all record the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he used that word, Matthew, Mark, and Luke also use that word. So it's a biblical word. It's a good word. It describes a doctrinal reality that many have fallen away from in our present day, but that we need to get back to as quickly as possible. And so we believe that God's elect shall be X, Y, Z, the rest of this statement. God's elect are those chosen by the Father in Christ before God created the universe, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now the language God's elect shall be called, and I emphasize that word shall. The word shall is a stronger word than the word will, and we lose sight of that in our modern day and age. You'll notice that legal documents use the word shall, whereas when we talk about our plans and our wishes and our desires, we use the word will. We use them interchangeably today, opting more times than not for the word will. But will implies desire, and shall implies certainty. We believe that God's elect shall be called. This is a very clear statement, and I want to emphasize two points from it. First of all, whatever follows applies only to the elect, and not to those who are not elected. Remember that all men are natural-born sinners and in enmity with God. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Sin has passed upon all men, and because of that, all men will die. There's not a person in the history of the world who has not died. Every single sinful human being Every single natural-born human being came into this world as a sinner, and every single one of them, who's not presently living, have died. Death is inevitable. The wages of sin is death. We all will die because we are all sinners. 
Of these sinners, God chose to save an innumerable number of them, according to Revelation chapters 5 and 7. In Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9, we learn that Christ has saved an innumerable host of people out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. Out of all the world, there are people that will be saved by Jesus, and they're saved by Jesus, again, because of God the Father choosing them before he created the universe. While he chose to save an innumerable company of people out of every nation, kindred, and tongue, some people are exactly where God found them. They are left exactly where Adam placed them, and they're judged according to their works. Revelation 21 describes people being judged according to their works, and yet we know that we are judged according to passages like Hebrews chapter 2, according to Christ. When God judges his people, he sees the righteousness of Christ, as we emphasized last week from 2 Corinthians 5.21. But there are people who are left exactly where Adam placed him. Now, what I want to emphasize out of this, and the point we're considering, is how this applies only to the elect. Those who were not elect, God simply passed over them, leaving them where he found them. God is active in ordaining the righteous to salvation, but for lack of a better term, God is passive in dealing with the wicked and their condition. Or as Romans chapter 9 says, God has prepared the vessels of mercy unto glory, but God has endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Adam made the wicked fitting to be destroyed. He did that. His transgression caused that. And throughout their lives, they lived in the depths of that depravity. And as they're judged in the final day, they're judged according to their works. It's punitive. It's what they deserve. Now, before we get high-minded, understand that is exactly what we deserve. That's where we deserve to be. We're saved not because we're better than other people, but we are saved by grace, and grace is defined as unmerited favor. By definition, grace is unmerited favor. And so God simply leaves them where he found them. They are endured with much long suffering, these vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and they will be judged according to their works. But this calling, this sanctifying, this regenerating, this creating anew, whatever biblical expression, this new birth applies only to the elect. This means we don't believe anyone who is not elect will be called. Now, if that's scary to you and you think, well, am I a person that's called? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You love him because he loved you first. You believe in him according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You believe because you are a product of God's grace. You have been born again. You are a walking miracle. And that's why you believe when the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, because they're foolishness unto him. Second of all, from this statement, God's elect shall be called. All of the elect will be called. So no one not elect will be called. At the same time, all of God's elect shall be called, sanctified, etc. Every single one of them without the loss of a single one. It is impossible for one elected not to be called 
by the Holy Spirit. And I would just point out for the record that this calling of the Holy Spirit, we have reference to the vital phase of salvation. There's a covenant phase of salvation when God the Father chose you before the world began. There is a legal phase of salvation when Jesus redeemed you, saved you, justified you upon the cross. But this is the vital phase of salvation. When the Holy Spirit personally enters into your heart and you pass from death and sin to life in Christ. What most Christians mean when they say saved in our barely theological age. All of the elect will be called because Romans chapter 8 plainly says that every single foreknown and predestinated person shall be called, they shall be justified, and eventually they will be glorified. Notice this Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen to this. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. The same group moves from phase to phase of their salvation. You have foreknowing and predestinating, calling, justifying, and the very same group that is foreknown shall be the very same group, one and the same, with those who are glorified, without the loss of a single one. By the way, concerning these truths, Paul would say, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In verse 31, and in verse 33 of Romans 8, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. As Jesus said in John chapter 6, he would lose nothing that the Father gave him. He says, this is the Father's will, that of all which he hath given me, I should what? I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Notice in Jesus' language there, he talks about the Father giving him people. That happened before the world began. And then he talks about raising them up again at the last day. That has reference to the resurrection, the glorification in the end of time. So the same group that was given to the Son will be raised at the last day and glorified. If you were given to Christ, you shall be called. Every single person that was given to the Son by the Father shall be born of the Spirit. If they were elected, they were also redeemed by Christ. And if they were redeemed by Christ, they will be called of the Spirit, born again, regenerated, quickened, etc. And one day they will be glorified. Moving on to the next phrase, all of the elect shall be called, converted, regenerated, and sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Each of these statements refer to the same thing, the new birth. Now, a note on the word converted. At the time this was written, the word convert was used interchangeably with the word born again, and so that's what they mean. They don't mean to imply that every single elect person will necessarily become a baptized disciple of Jesus. Can an elect person that dies in infancy become a baptized disciple of Jesus? No. But we know that Jesus saves these little unborn babies. So, obviously, converted there doesn't mean that they'll all become baptized, affirmed Christians. And this could speak to people in many other conditions, those who are mentally handicapped, those who live in areas where God had elect, but the gospel was not preached. God will save each and every one of his people. The Spirit, like the wind, blows when and where he pleases, as you read in John chapter 3 and verse 8. Convert here in this statement of faith 
has reference to the new birth. Today, we use this word in our church and in our church culture to refer to those moments when you turn back to God. But the word simply means to change, to go from darkness to light. That's a change, isn't it? Well, then it's thereby a conversion. To go from death in sin to life in Christ is a change, right? It is. So going from death in sin to life in Christ is then a conversion. But so is turning from fornication to repentance and purity a change. And so then repenting of fornication is a conversion. Repenting of a doctrinal error is a conversion. We also say to leave one denomination to join another is to convert from one to another, from which denomination you leave to which denomination you join. I've known many people to say, well, I was a Presbyterian and I converted to being Baptist, or I was Methodist and I converted to being Presbyterian. I've known some people to say, I was an Arminian, but then I converted to Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, what have you. That's how we are inclined to use this word today. And to be very clear, the Bible uses it in this way too. Peter, for instance, in Luke chapter 22, was told by Jesus that Satan desired them, the apostles, to sift them as wheat. But he's praying specifically for Peter that his faith fell not, and praise God for that prayer, that his faith fell him not. But when he was converted, he was told by Jesus to strengthen his brethren. Jesus uses the word converted with Peter not with reference to the new birth, but with reference to Peter turning back to him after he had denied him those three times, there would be a conversion that Peter needed to experience, that he would experience, and after such, he was tasked with the strengthening of his brethren. Peter, when Jesus said that, had been born again for at least three and a half years. The entire time he was following Christ, he knew Christ was the Son of God, And according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, that had been revealed to him by the Father. Please understand through Matthew 11, if Christ has been revealed to you, that happened in the new birth. God the Father, without the help of anyone else, introduces you to his Son and his Son to you on the level of your soul, your inner being, your heart. You know God through his revealing himself to you, And if that has happened to you, you are a born-again person. Christ had been revealed to Peter this entire time, and yet there was a conversion that Peter yet needed to experience. So to summarize that point, a conversion experience is any change, especially when we turn back to God after conviction. We use this term even in the realm of mathematics. We use it in the realm of currency, converting from one currency to another. We know that this simply means to change. The way we use it today, however, has reference to turning back to God after conviction. And listen carefully to this. Though we are born again only once, you and I can have many conversion experiences. When God shows us the sinfulness of our life or the error in our thinking, as we repent, as we are sorrowful and we turn back to God, we've experienced a conversion experience that is different and distinct and follows after this new birth when we are converted from death and sin to life in Christ. Let's look to other terms from this statement, one at a time. We believe that they will be called. This refers to the call of the Spirit as used in Romans chapter 8. There is a gospel call, 
when preachers indiscriminately preach and call on men to repent, but the Spirit must first call us from death and sin to life in Christ for that gospel to be effective. Before the new birth, before the call of the Spirit from death and sin to life in Christ, we are them that perish. So the preached word is foolishness to us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God calls us to life in Christ, and I would point out that this is by the voice of the Son of God, according to John chapter 5. The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live, that has reference to the new birth, because just a few verses later, Jesus would say, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. That first resurrection in John 5 is the new birth, when we pass from death unto life. How do I know if I've passed from death unto life? Well, in John 5, 24, Jesus says, if you hear and believe the word that is spoken unto you, it's because you have everlasting life and you've passed from death unto life and you shall not come into condemnation. So the evidence that that has happened to you is when you believe the gospel that is preached unto you, which is why the gospel brings assurance. You wouldn't receive it unless you had been called from death and sent to life in Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is like when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but the soul is what comes to life rather than the physical body. The next word, quickened. Since the new birth is a resurrection from death and sin by the Spirit at the command of Christ, it's no wonder then that the Bible calls it quickening in Ephesians 2, which means to be made alive. The word quick means alive. Quickening is to be made alive. We are quickened when we were dead, past tense, in trespasses and in sins, according to Ephesians 2. This quickening is also an act of creation, as those quickened are new creatures in Christ Jesus, his workmanship created unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. To be quickened is to be made spiritually alive. Regenerated, the next term. This word regenerated is a synonym with the word quickening. This comes from Titus chapter 3, in which we learn that we were hateful and hating one another, but we have been saved by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. To really get this word, just break it into pieces. Re, again, generated, made. We are remade, in a sense, in the new birth, as our hard and stony hearts are taken away, and a heart of flesh is given. The laws of God are written on the fleshy tables of our heart, and according to Hebrews 8, we know God with an intimate heart knowledge. Re-generated. And lastly, sanctify. To sanctify something means to set it apart for holy usage. The word holy means separate. In the Old Testament, days and people and items were all sanctified to be used by God. We are sanctified in the new birth when God officially sets us apart in a vital sense, changing us and making us partakers of the divine nature. We are set apart to serve Him as a special ceremonial people who are to offer the sacrifice of praise. We are quite literally sanctified as priests and kings unto God. So in closing today, I want you to think of these terms. We are born again. We are created anew. We are quickened. We are regenerated. We are translated. In each of those word pictures, one is active and another is passive. A baby is passive in being born and yet we are born again. 
A dead man is passive in a resurrection, and yet we are quickened. A book is passive in being translated, and yet according to Colossians, we've been translated from darkness into light. The universe was passive in being created, and yet we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. In every one of these, God is active, and we are the passive recipients. And so praise God for His marvelous grace as we are quite literally walking miracles. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.